All right, welcome to Elevate. I'm so excited tonight, guys. Man, there are so many new faces tonight. I'm so excited to get to know you guys and meet you guys. It's going to be a good time. I hope you guys are having fun. Um, who here liked the obstacle course? Let me see some hands. Yeah, there we go. I thought it was pretty cool. Did anybody get somewhat damaged at all? Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe next time we should get some liability waivers. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I got like a couple scrapes, but nothing too bad. Nothing too bad. Man, you guys got some good times. You guys got some good times. Where's Caden? He had 12.59, 12 seconds, 59 seconds on the obstacle course. Let's give him a round of applause. Man, what the heck? <laughs> Man, you guys, you guys are crazy. That's like, that's like less than half of my time. Like that's, I don't know, that's insane. Man, cool. Okay, um, before we begin, I don't know how many of you guys might, I know it's a different night. No, it's a different night. But at this point, it's pretty much a tradition here at Elevate. Um, if you're new here, here's what we do. We open up our cans of pop all at the same time on the count of three. So if you've got one, if you've got one, do you have a question? Do you want to do it? Well, come on up. Come on up. Come on, let's do it. Okay. All right. Count us off. Count us off. Three, two, one. <laughs> that was legit. That was awesome. All right, all right, man. Okay, before we get into this message, I've got a question for you guys. I've got a question. When you guys, you know, you guys are, school started. Some of you guys are happy about that. Some of you guys, not so happy. But school started and homework is starting again, right? Homework's starting, I know. See, I was, I was homeschooled. So all my school was homework. Like, I, don't, I did all my school at homework. But when you're studying, I have a question for when you're doing homework or when you're studying for a test, do you guys need, do you, raise your hand if you have some sort of music or ambience going on, raise your hand when you study. Okay, raise your hand if you're like complete silence, like a psycho, I don't know. Who here likes complete silence? Man. Okay, there's a lot of hands that still have not been raised. What do you guys do? You guys, so some of you guys don't listen to music and also don't have silence. I don't know, do you guys go to like a crowded restaurant or something? Man, people, people who study in complete silence terrify me. Like, I don't know how you guys do that. I need some sort of music, some sort of something to keep me going some sort of something but I'm the type of guy I'm the type of guy that listens to those chill lo-fi beats to study relax to anybody else okay thank you thank you so another thing I do when I'm studying is I'll put myself in an environment where there could be lots of distractions I know some of you guys are like I'm I don't know like I, I do that I'll, I'll go to like a busy coffee shop and like at any moment, someone could like walk in and start having a conversation. And I don't know why, but that's just somehow, that's sometimes um, how my brain works. And then other times I go into a secret place that nobody knows about, put my phone on do not disturb, and then I'll study in there. And so I'm kind of a mix of both. 
But both of those reasons are because sometimes distractions can cre distractions create a disruption in your mental process, right? If, if you're studying and you're studying hard for a test and then a disruption happens, a distraction happens, you know, it's like a ship going down the sea and all of a sudden out of nowhere, this giant mountain just appears like half a mile in front of the ship. And so the ship has to course correct, get out of its path, get around the mountain, and then get back into the path, which is how I've been imagining a distraction. You know, you have to get out of your path. And sometimes that's good thing. Sometimes when I'm studying or researching, I want the distraction because it gets me back on the path of what I was supposed to be doing anyways. It kind of resets my brain. It's like a refresh page on the web browser that it kind of resets, but other times, it is a complete disruption that I cannot recover from. It is a complete disruption. So, so sometimes a distraction is a good thing and sometimes it is a bad thing. And as Christians in the world today, I believe there are many, many things that can be a distraction to us, right? We could have difficult opinions, dif different views. We've got politics, we've got temptations, we've got all these things that could distract us and disrupt us from our flow and our path. And I believe that one of the biggest distractions, at least in my life, is knowing how to handle failure, is knowing how to handle failure. Because I can say in my life, I've either been terrified with the fear of failure or paralyzed by the shame of failure. Is anybody else brave enough to admit that they struggle with that sometimes too? That I'm either, I've noticed a lot of times in my life, I'm terrified of fearing about failing or I'm paralyzed because I have shame about a past failure. And I believe that the key, that I believe I can provide some insight tonight about the key of get, overcoming that. Because if we can overcome the fear of failure and the shame of past failure, I believe our we don't have limits. That if we can overcome that and overcome that um, stumbling block of the enemy, then there's so much we can do. And there has to come a point in your life where you have to say enough is enough. You have to say enough is enough. So turn to your neighbor, say enough is enough. Enough is enough. Because I believe that if you, if you tune in and listen tonight, if you tune in and listen tonight, that could be, this could be a key that could change your life. And so before we get into it, I'm going to pray and we're going to get into it. So Father, I thank you for what the words you have given me. I pray that we allow it to apply to our lives in a real, fresh way that we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got three points tonight, and each point is going to be a portion of a sentence. And I'm going to reveal the full sentence at the end. And so the very first, the first point is this. It's when you fall, dot, dot, dot. It, this is the first part of the sentence. So point number one is when you fall. And I want to say, I want to put a big, big emphasis on when. Because we live in a fallen world, we're not yet perfect, there are going to be times when we fall. I can guarantee every leader, mentor, pastor, CEO, Christian, friend, everybody, every pastor you see on stage, every author has fallen or has been in a season of falling. Every biblical character has had their failures and flaws, except obviously, except for Jesus. But it's amazing to me that the Bible doesn't just shy away from that concept of failure, but it in fact almost lingers on it a little bit too much, I think. 
Because the Bible, they show us that those characters, that these people in the Bible, that they are flawed just like us. And I believe that every word in the Bible is placed there for our good and his glory. So I've got an image here I'm going to throw up on screen. And it's just recapping just a bunch of people of how they are failed and how God still used them. It says, Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. Lazarus was dead. And God still wasn't done, for him, done with him. God's word is so incredible because it shows the beauty of God's love. I believe if we were to look at that, we could find at least one thing that we can relate with. We could find at least one thing that we can relate with. I can look at it and I can find like five, at least. I can find like five. And God still used them. That's the incredible thing is God still used them. You know, I said this a few weeks ago. But once you begin to understand that the Bible is not just a book of rules and regulations, but is in fact a love letter from our Father to his children, I believe that can change everything that you see. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the prodigal son story. And it starts off in Luke 15, it says, A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before I die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth to his sons. And a few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And it continues in Luke 15, uh, 14. It says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. That does not sound fun. That sounds like that would be gross and disgusting. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. You know, a lot of people, um, what they get wrong about this story is that this, the prodigal son was so hungry that he ate the pig's food. But in fact, that's not even true. He wanted to eat the pig's food, but nobody would even give him food that the pigs were eating. You know, uh, falling and failing is going to happen because we're broken people. We live in a fallen world and we're in the process and the methods of getting fixed and getting perfected. Colossians 3.10 says, for you have a acquired new creation life, which is continually, keyword there, continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you. You know, we're not there yet, but we don't have to stay that way. We have to continue to learn to grow and become better. And the change happens when you shift your focus. You see, we, we can't focus on our failures because God's not focused on our failures. If we're focusing on our failures, then we're focusing on something or prioritizing something that God doesn't care about. Because God took care of it. He took care of the enemy. So we need to change our focus. And that goes to the next part of the sentence. So the first part is when you fall, get back up. When you fall, get back up. I have a question for everybody. How many of you guys have, how many of you guys know how to longboard or skateboard? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got a decent amount. Longboard or skateboard. Um, not, of you, not a lot of you guys know this, um, but I had a phase like six months ago. That didn't last very long, but I, I really got into longboarding for a while. And it was during quarantine, so about a year ago, I really got into longboarding. And something that I learned really quickly about longboarding is there's a right way to fall. How many of you guys know there's a right way to fall on a longboard or on a skateboard? Because if you fall wrong, you can cause some serious 
damage. And I believe the same is true to you, right? There's, there's a right way to fall. And to really set this up, you have to understand that how great and deep God's mercy is for us. That if you fall on a longboard and you fall wrong and you do it the wrong way, you can cause some damage. And I believe the same is true when we fall as Christians. That if we fall and we focus on our shame and our failure and we don't give God the credit of what he did on the cross, then you can fall the wrong way and cause some damage. God has abounding grace for us and grace means unmerited favor. So favor we didn't deserve. Favor that we didn't earn. Grace is giving you something that you didn't deserve. John 6, 28 says, then they asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? How can I live a Christian life is what they're asking. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. You might have thought that he was going to give a big list of rules or of all these things, but he's saying, you need to believe in what I have set. You need to believe in the one that he has sent. You have to believe in Jesus. And Jesus can work the things out with you himself. That we're not trying to follow this to rules to be um, enslaved by the rules, but it's in fact, it's a relationship that we have with him. He takes responsibility for your sins and he paid the price 2,000 years ago. And Psalms 103 says, for his unfailing love to those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens of the earth. And he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So when you fall, when you fail, you can stand up. You have the ability to stand up because you can stand on the ground that Jesus has laid for us 2,000 years ago. That you can stand on his foundation. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down because this is something God revealed to me a while ago. And I believe it's so important. And it says, a failure as a Christian is not how many times you've fallen down, but how many times, but, refu- but failing as a Christian is refusing to stand up after you've fallen down. So if you fail as a Christian, it's not because you've fallen, but it's because you refuse to stand up. Because that means you have rejected God's grace and mercy for your life. Because you've said, what I have done is too great for God. What I have done in this moment, God can't fix, so there's no point in me standing up. But truly failing as a Christian is refusing to stand back up. It's not how many times you've fallen. It's about standing up once you've fallen. So here's this. When you fall, get back up. And here's the last one. And say enough is enough. When you fall, get back up and say enough is enough. What does this mean? This means no more. This means breaking the chain that pulled you down to begin with. This means getting angry at the enemy for, because you can't take it any longer. He knows what you can knock, he knows what can knock you down, but he knows the power that you have inside of you, and he's more terrified of that than you ever will be of him. If he knows that if you stand up, you can crush him in between your fingers, and that's why he's terrified. And so as we close here, I'd like to ask the worship team to come on up. And I would just like to close with this, is is that the devil doesn't want you to know the power that you have inside of you. He's gonna do whatever it takes to get you to forget and to get you to believe the lies that you don't have power. But the truth is that you do. The truth is that you do. The devil will do anything he can to get you to forget that. Here's the whole sentence put together. When you fall up, fall, when you fall, get back up and say enough is enough. 
And so I would like to finish the prodigal son's story and see what happens. If you remember, our prodigal son, he tried to eat the pig slop, but they wouldn't even let him do that. And so let's pick it back up. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at my house, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. That's important right there. That means his father was watching for him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said, it's great you're back, but I'm going to have to have you to clean up first. It's great you're back, but you're not worthy. You're right. You're going to have to work for that. No, that's not what the father said. It says, but the father turned to his servants and said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring on his finger. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The last sentence is this, so the party began. He's saying, welcome home, my son. You have returned. I've been waiting for you to come as you are. And our Father is inviting the same invitation to us, whether we've been following Jesus our whole life or we've never thought about it. He's saying, welcome home. Put past, put your failures behind him. Put your failures behind you and enter the Father's house. So right now, I'd like to ask everybody to stand up, and we're going to bow our head and close our eyes. And I want to invite you tonight that this is your opportunity to respond. This is our opportunity to respond to what we have heard. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to not wait a moment longer whether you used to follow Jesus as a kid, but you can definitely say that you're not anymore, or maybe the thought has never crossed your mind. I wanna give you an opportunity now, because I can speak for my life, that my life is forever changed because of my relationship with him. It's not about rules, it's the relationship with him. So if you used to follow Jesus and you don't anymore, or you've never even thought about it, I wanna give you an opportunity right now. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would like to accept Jesus into your heart, I just want you to right now just raise your hand. Raise your hand up high and proud. This is our opportunity tonight. Don't wait a minute longer. I'm gonna give just one more minute. here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you're going to believe it and accept it in your heart. You don't have to say it back at me, but if you want to, you can say it in your spirit or just whispering to yourself, just, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for dying on the cross for me. God, I thank you so much for doing that for me. I accept your love into my life. I accept that you paid for my sins on the cross. I don't take any responsibility for my failures anymore. I don't take responsibility for the sin that has drugged me down so long. But God, I accept and believe that you died on the cross to pay that price for my sin. 
to pay the price for my shortcomings, that you give given me grace and favor and mercy, God. You can't punish the same per you can't punish two different people for one crime. That would not be just. So God, I accept that in my heart. I accept you in my heart to reign in my life. I believe that you paid the price on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose again after the third day so I could be with you in eternity. And I would like to speak to a second group here. Maybe you are a Christian, you've been following him your whole life, but you just keep getting bogged down by failure. The shame of failure is dragging you down and you need the chains broken. You know about Jesus' love, you know about his grace, but you can't seem to escape the shame of failure. So right now in this place, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand if that's you. If I'm speaking to you, that you need to just get rid of this failure, get rid of the shame. Father, I speak to these people as well, and I just ask that you show them your love and your grace, God, dear your mercy. And I break any chain of shame that is on our people tonight, any chain, of, any chain of shame that is on anybody tonight, that they want it broken right now in the name of Jesus, God. I just pray that it holds us back no longer, that we are free in Jesus' name, that this is the start of something new, that tonight is the moment that you will look back to and be like, that is when everything changed. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy and your grace, God. God, I ask that you just continually reveal this to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship today.